0: It is a very good afternoon. It is the Nile Boylan podcast on this wonderful Wednesday afternoon. Now, we've a lot to get through today, and I want to focus on one thing in particular and something that's very special to me. Because I was born in a mother and baby home I've had a huge interest in what has happened around that, the redress scheme, how the government have investigated it, of course the apology that was given by Antishuk not so long ago in relation to the survivors and the victims of the mother and baby home. But it all started way, way back. For many people out there who don't understand what the mother and baby homes were, they were homes essentially where women who were morally shamed into having their babies because they weren't married or didn't have a partner in these homes. The babies then were taken by the nuns who coerced them into giving these children up for a Options. Sometimes they signed. But I still suggest they were illegal adoptions because they were coerced. And those babies were taken by either Irish families, or indeed, in many cases, American families. But one of the most shocking stories to come out of this, of course, was the Tune Babies, which is a story that has grabbed international attention all over the world. And I know many of our American listeners who may be listening on stream now, be it on Twitter and Facebook, or either on our website, um, and we are going to send this all over the place to make sure American listeners get to see it because they have a huge interest in this particular story. But the shocking part of it, of course, is the Tune Babies with the bond Secure known. And back in 2012, Catherine Corliss, who is a historian, discovered that almost 900 babies' bodies were mysteriously buried uh, beneath the mother and baby homes. And Catherine Corliss joins me on the line. Good evening to you, Catherine, or good afternoon to you. Sorry, Hi,
1: how are you? I feel good
0: to join you. Catherine, let's just go back in time a little bit and let's talk about firstly the history of this particular mother and baby home. 1925. It, was, it kind of changed ownership and it's, they started to use it as Was it in and around that time, 1925, they started using it as a mother and baby home?
1: Uh, that's right. It was a workhouse uh, since, since the famine time times. And uh, the building was there. there was, it was on seven acres of ground. The workhouses closed down in 1922 when Ireland became a free state. And uh, then they decided to turn those workhouses into either mother and baby homes, county homes or psychiatric hospitals. So the two one was turned into a mother and baby home, and the bonds course arrived there in 1925. They were employed by the state to run the home, that's the way it happened now.
0: And, and the sort of individuals that were placed into this home, uh, you know, uh, basically under the care of the bond secure nuns, uh, obviously uh, paid for by the state. What types of individuals? Were, were they troubled young women or were they women who had just got pregnant out of wedlock because of, at that time was seemed to be morally wrong, you were classed as an illegitimate child in those days if that, that happened? Were they the types of individuals that would have been in there?
1: Well, there were ordinary people, I, I would say. People, uh, young girls, and often, some of them underage, unfortunately, that uh, were raped by uh, family, family, or, well, not family, I suppose, maybe relatives or, or neighbours or something like that, and mm-hmm. they ended up in the home. Any woman who became pregnant, no matter what age, no matter who she was, what background, uh, they were sent into the mother and baby homes, just as uh, you declared, just out it was the way uh, Ireland was at the time. It was the, the the iron fist of the Church that decided that uh, women who who didn't who weren't married and who were, who were, uh, got pregnant, uh, it was their fault. Uh, the men weren't blamed because uh, probably uh, the the rule was that uh, the men were tempted and they couldn't help themselves, which was atrocious, an atrocious way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And many of those poor women were just raped, so they were sent in there no matter what age or where they were from.
0: And as a historian, you became really interested in this story in the, I suppose, in and around 2010, 2012. And what kind of made you think there was something more to this story than just the shame of women being put into these homes and having their babies put up for adoption? And we can see in the background there, uh, the mother and baby homes and and the, the tomb site. What, what, what gave you your first interest in this? Well, uh,
1: to, to go back now, uh, I wouldn't uh, cast myself as a historian. Uh, I had a lo- an interest in local history and that's important to say that because anyone could have done this. Uh, I, I am a housewife, um, minded children, minded the farm, minded tended to my garden, quite happy. And I uh, just took up a local history course, which was quite good, ran for a year. And uh, it gave me a huge interest in, in in local history and local means around my own area. So I started uh, doing, I started writing about my own area. and. Uh, the, uh, the, the local journal the tomb, uh, local journal that uh, delved into his history um, that they, they liked my writing and they asked me to do an essay so I said why not the mother and baby home in chu and that's where it all started really and mm. uh, from that from the local history course i had got a lot of information i had got the know-how where to go how to get information and above all the tutor we have he he he, he said he did say that never give up, always, always yeah. keep trying. The answers are there if you keep trying. So that's where it started really. And uh, I asked the the, the uh, journal, would I do, uh, would would I cover the mother and baby home because there was absolutely nothing written about it. So that's where I started out quite naively, just writing a little bit of history.
0: And you notice but there was there was anomalies because the anomalies were the death certificates for babies that had gone in or had been born in the mother and baby home, but seemingly didn't exist anymore. And from your own records, there was 798. That was the original figure, I think, that you came out with at the time was 798. Is that figure still stand or do you think it could be more than that of babies who are either born um, or maybe some of those babies were unborn, so to speak, anywhere between pre-birth and maybe three or four years of age who were buried unceremoniously? In if we could describe it to people, I suppose there was kind of these sewage tanks uh, below the building. They were that's where they were kind of draped and buried. There, I mean, that's seven hundred ninety eight figures. Is that an accurate figure?
1: Oh it's, well, there's seven nine eight death sorts of babies and children who died in the home. Now that when I found that, I said this is a this is the prime record. We can't dispute this. The records are there, uh, each and every death sort for every child that died. And there could be quite a lot of uh, stillbirths as well, but they wouldn't have been recorded anyway, Now, So you can certify that there are 796 death sorts, and that's what I worked on the whole time. There were 798 actually, but uh, two of those, I found them in the main church graveyard, which is quite nearby, and uh, they weren't illegitimate babies, you see. They were treated separately. They were buried with family, even though they had been you see, The home covered is catered for orphans as well, or, or maybe mothers that were very sick for a while, and they would be in there for a while. So uh, the catered for those as well.
0: So these children who died, and we can only assume that they died to neglect irresponsibility, malnutrition, disease, because they were intended to medically properly. I'm assuming these are the ways these children, these young children would have died. But I'm, I'm trying to get a picture in my head of this, you know, this old, really old building with these nuns looking after uh, the mothers who are having these children. And when they died, I have this vision of a nun taking the body, filling out the death, cert, and bringing it. To, if you could describe for you know our viewers and listeners exactly where they brought these bodies and what they did with them.
1: Well, uh, the home itself—it was a massive building. It was a kind of um, almost, you could say, like a cage block prison, and that was the shape of them. All the workhouses were the same. And uh, by the time the mother, the nuns just moved in there and and tidied it up, and uh, that's that's all that had to be done. Now, about uh, fifty yards out the back of that home, there was a corner where there was a working sewage tank at the time of the workhouse. Now, you're talking about a massive sewage tank at the time because it was to cater for all the uh, the workhouse, the hundreds of people uh, that, that were in that workhouse. There was also underground uh, Victorian, you could call them uh, brick tunnels, uh, leading to that sewage pit. So uh, the, the evidence that I got is that uh, the nuns obviously didn't carry them out. Uh, there was a lot of women in the home who stayed on because uh, they would have, had no family and they stayed on as unpaid servants for their keep all those years. And it would have been uh, those older women that would have done the dirty deed. But say for the nuns, they would have carried out those little babies wrapped just in in cloth and uh, placed them uh, in that in those chambers. And those they employed one man in the home itself. That's all they needed to employ because all the women who had to spend a year there with their babies, uh, they had to pay back. That, that was their penance to pay back for a year. Unpaid work, every kind of work you would think of. So that's who would have brought mm-hmm. the babies there. And sometimes the, the one man that had employed the caretaker, he would have he would have placed those babies in the uh, chambers as well. And I have, I have have evidence that that man would have had, had stated that many, a priori, he would have said some babies here before he placed them in the tunnels. So the nuns got those, uh, that, that's how it worked.
0: And when we look back now, are there any of the individuals, including that man, including the bond secure nuns? I think the last time we spoke to, I think there was about two of the original nuns were still alive, but both were in care homes at this stage. And probably I would think one of them had dementia. Are they are they all passed away now? All the individuals, both from the, count, the council, from the state and from the home.
1: Well, the nuns definitely. As you said, I got the same information from the nuns that there's two of them still there, but they are not to be talked to. They're not to be spoken to. They're not to be. Um, they're not to be uh, to go on any any broadcast or anything because uh, they're too old. They're too elderly, and uh, one of them has dementia. But uh, the other man, well, the caretaker, he he died unfortunately some years back, and uh, his John Cunningham was his name. No, his well, that's well documented. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is his name, and I, I had been speaking uh, to his um, um, his grandson, who had carried the stories, and uh, it, it was he who gave me that information. So I mean, uh, I suppose was, I, was, I
0: was, suppose that a lot of them were doing what they were told to do, and and uh, the only answers we absolutely. could ever get would be out of the nuns. Yeah, well, unfortunately, they're all gone now. Um, and uh, look, if they were in fit shape or in health, good health, I mean, nowadays, there would be criminal charges for doing what they did and what they were responsible for, what we believe they were responsible for, which was certainly criminal it activity. Was, it
1: was covered up. It was hidden. I mean, I, I, the, the ordinary person passing in and out through that home, well, pass, passing the home, uh, nobody got in, really. It was surrounded by uh, ten-foot high walls, the seven acres, and uh, very few people got in there. And uh, nobody knew because... Uh, not absolutely mature of that they would be met at the gate if, if anyone was calling or they would you know even people who were delivering
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, stuff to the home they were met at the gate so uh, nobody S- really knew the ordinary person wouldn't have known what we got in there
0: now speaking of the ordinary person we all didn't know you knew about it catherine as an amateur historian and you had gone to great into great detail and great lengths to find out exactly what was happening and if it wasn't didn't
1: find for you. I didn't find out until I started my research. I of had course. no idea that so many children were just were just thrown in there and they were left there when the nuns left in 1961, even though I walked past that home every single day, I went in and out of school and then now to work. And uh, we just didn't know. Country people wouldn't have heard anything at all about that. I was absolutely shocked when I got the number of babies who had died. And not, I thought, first of all, there were stillbirths, but the, they were all the deaths, certs saying what they died of, and uh, their ages, and when they died, and I was absolutely horrified.
0: I mean, we got to know about it, of course, when the Daily Mail, I mean, I know on many occasions that, they, that Alison O'Reilly had tried to put the story in. and they the, the on Sunday, yeah, she
1: yes, broke and, the story. And they and broke the story. The story.
0: And the, and then it became, right. of course, an international story. Um, Ender yeah, Kenny yeah, yeah. in 2014, of course, Ender Kenny ordered a full investigation into it. So at that yeah. point, did you believe vindicate, that you were being vindicated for the story? Because did you feel at one point, you know, up to 2014 when Ender Kenny or, ordered that particular investigation, did you feel like you were banging your head off a wall, that nobody was actually listening to something that was so incredible and so serious?
1: Well, I was banging my head off June Walls. First of all, because I mean, I knew this in first of all in 2012. Uh, I didn't know the amount that time. I only had about 200 uh, deaths. And I decided then to really delve into this more. And I, as I said, I, I was, it was a staggering um, discovery. And uh, I brought it out in June. I brought it to the Archbishop in June. I brought it to the Corps nuns. Brought it to Godalming County Council. All on that site. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just sort of swept under the under the carpet again, or under the under the ground, you could say. Yeah. and uh, it was denied and uh, nobody wants to know there wasn't a will and i was absolutely getting over until the media took hold of it, that's I, remember, it I, remember, I
0: remember covering the story in the very early days with alison when she, we we spoke to Alison yeah. on the air and i think i spoke to yourself at one point of the year but i mean look i have a whole timeline here which is like about 20 pages thick of everything that's happened between then and now and most of it seems to be just kicking the can down the road. We had a Minister of Children, Catherine Zapone at the time, of course, with Rodrigo Gorman now as well. But of course the latest, the latest news now is that, you know, that Rodrigo Gorman now has appointed a new director who will oversee the excavation of the site and the former yeah. mother of baby Home Atom. Now, are you pleased to hear that? Will you be able to step back a little bit or do you find that you won't be able to that you'll still have to supervise everything and make sure everything is being done right?
1: Well, after, after 10 years of begging and pleading and with the government writing to uh, the church, I even wrote to the Pope. I wrote to um, uh, his, uh, what, do you, what do you call him, that man in Dublin? Oh, sorry, no, I just can't... Roger O'Gorman,
0: sorry, yes, yes.
1: No, 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 the church, the church, um, Archbishop. Um, sorry, I can't think of his name at the moment. Damon
0: Martin, no, is it?
1: Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely, yes. And uh, I wrote to so the man above him and uh, above him. And uh, got some replies, and nice replies, and replies. I didn't want God bless you and all this, but however, uh, I got. uh, I I, it was a struggle. I'm telling you, I had to. I went up to the door a few times. I spoke, and I pleaded, and and all over the years, it was pleading, pleading, and keeping the media, uh, alerted, and keeping the story alive. It was a huge struggle now, but I am I am happy uh, that this director has finally finally been been uh, appointed.
0: And the new director, Daniel McSweeney, has been named as the director that will oversee yes. the excavation. Yes. And the uh, yes. and so what are we looking for now? Or What are we trying to do? I mean, and by the way, I'm quite shocked that you had to plead and beg, literally uh-huh. at the steps of the doll, or went to the Octus or whatever it happened to be. And it's shocking that we see a story in Ireland's history, such a dark story of you know over 900 babies who were buried unceremoniously in such a horrible, horrible way and allowed to die. That's Many really of those,
1: because they're illegitimate, no Absolutely. other reason. And that's why I had to fight
0: for them. I mean, and don't get me wrong, many of those children may have died of incurable diseases. We accept that. But many of those children probably didn't have to die because they could have got medical oh. attention or they could have been fed properly because many of them we believe died and from malnutrition. They were uh,
1: they're, they're a nursing congregation and, and they would have known about hygiene. And, uh, you know, they, it was just pure neglect. If, if mm-hmm. a baby got sick, it, 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 it seems it was on to the next one. it wasn't worthwhile saving them. It, that's, that's just the way, that's to been, to
0: that's even think about running. that just sounds horrendous so you can only imagine what i mean they must have been heartless absolutely heartless because i don't know anybody who could allow a child to suffer and die but so they must I have know. been heartless people i mean to yeah, them it, it was just an industry it was a business it was an industry they that were, they were running
1: commodities yeah, they looked upon them as commodities they looked at them as sinful The mothers had committed a grievous sin and therefore the babies were the offspring of that and it was an awful, awful time in Ireland. And it's just from a religious congregation and from a church that didn't interfere and do something. That's what drove me all those years now. Mm-hmm. So nobody's speaking for those babies. And I'm insured. I wanted to ensure that the weren't forgotten about. And that is happening now. And that is why I am quite happy that uh, a director has been appointed. And he is a good director. He has 15 years experience of war-torn countries about including uh, people who are missing is experience in DNA testing and it's just what we need. And uh, mm-hmm. I can't really take a back seat now, you asked me that. But no, I, I, can, don't think, you know, I don't think you can. I am relieved. But I just, I, I, I I actually,
0: be... Catherine, I don't want you to take a back seat because yeah. I enjoy talking to you about it because I think I it's know, really important that people or, hear yeah. about it all the time. I think it's important that we constantly keep talking about it. It's, because
1: the... it's right on there. That's the process where it is. People constantly aware and constantly asking the government what's happening with the children, babies. And only for that, it would have died a very quick death again. So uh, I am very mm-hmm. grateful to all media who kept this going all those years, and it give me hope as well. When people would ring me up and ask me, "Will you do this? Will you do that talk?" So, I did everything I possibly could. Now between talking at universities, uh, I, uh, people were very kind. I did get have a lot of awards, but the issue was uh, this is keeping it out there for the children. Babies.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you did. Uh, you. You. Um, I know, um, I know you got a human. You got a human rights award, and I. I know there's a book out as well That's in relation right. to that.
1: Definitely, yeah, and I got some from the Cross as well, which is fantastic. And you deserve it, was, it by I mean, the way. And, and by the way, can I
0: point out as well, you're one of the only people in Ireland ever to get a standing ovation on the national television know, show, the Late Late Show. That,
1: that was my very first time appearing on, on a live programme. And I'm telling you, that week I was nervous. I was sick with nerves all that week, only for my husband, Aidan. He, he pointed out to me, you have to do this, as four nationwide. It will make a difference. And that's the only reason... And then when I got the standing ovation, I, I, I was just shocked out of my mind. I didn't know where to look or where to turn and to run away. That's how I felt. But, you know,
0: I, I very, sat very, a, <laughs> I sat and watched you know, that night like most people in Ireland because the ratings that particular night were huge because you were on it and everybody was very aware of this shocking story. But to see yes. you getting that standing ovation, nobody well, in the history of The Late Late Show deserved it more than you it did that particular night.
1: And as well as that, it, it showed me that people do care. There's people out there that do care and that do appreciate my work. And that would have spurred me on to keep going as well. All that helped, Niall. It was very, very difficult at times because uh, I, I am an anxious person. Anyway. I suffer from anxiety. But uh, this was just too huge to let go of and I just had to keep it. And it's great that it's come to this. And, and, and of course, not only that, it,
0: it got international attention as well. It was actually on CNN News. It was everywhere. And I'm sure you've had calls from all over the world to talk to I people had, in relation. I, I had I had, a
1: camera crews coming in the back door and then cameras waiting at the front door. But it was exhausting, Niall, but it was well worth it. It well, was what I needed. Well, Catherine,
0: need you are a true hero. And for the Irish people, for you to bring this story out and make us all aware. And by the way, the story of the tune Babies didn't just make us aware of what happened in Tume and the horrific uh, situation in Tume with those 900 babies and like, more than 900 babies who died there unceremoniously, but it drew attention to the mother and baby homes as a whole. And now we're in a situation where Roger Gorman is now addressing the redress scheme for the survivors, although, again, once that's been delayed, we're going to be talking about that a little bit more in a few minutes. So it did draw attention Sorry, myself, I was born in St Patrick's Home on the Navan Road. To all the people who were born in Dunboyne, in Bessborough, and all the other homes all over the country, so Sorry. it drew attention to the whole. I it, suppose it Ireland's up, dirty it opened,
1: secret. Yeah. It, it opened and uncovered an awful lot, and I think that's initially when I started out. I think that's why they, they, they tried to stamp stamp it before it got anywhere because they obviously knew what was you know what was out there and what was waiting to explode. So uh, thank goodness it did explode. It also opened up um, it, it, people, for those who were adopted, it opened up that area to where they are now allowed access to their files, full access. That mm-hmm. law was passed and that was another um, um, plus yeah. to come out of all this. In, in,
0: in relation to, you were referring obviously to the track and trace there, do, do you believe that in other homes, the largest home, of course, was St. Patrick's Home on the Avon Road. You Bespro, which was very big as well. Dunboyne, of course, was very big and probably one of the more recent ones to close more recently. Do you believe that tomb is unique in the sense that babies were allowed to die neglected and were buried on site? Or do you think it's possible that we'll probably never know because St. Patrick's Home is long gone. There's a housing estate built there and all there is to remember uh, St. Patrick's Home is a little plaque on a wall. But do you think it's possible that there are other sites around Ireland similar to Toome where babies are buried?
1: Well, absolutely. Uh, There is a story from Vesper where I spoke to uh, um, a man that he remembers as a child and that should be looked into. He told me this story uh, and he's adamant that he, he, the, himself and the pal were playing around the grounds at Bicester home, and uh, they, they saw a few people and a few nuns standing around a tank there, and uh, they just came a bit closer. And uh, what he, he he describes what he saw as little green dolls all in a tank, and they, of course when the nuns saw them, the lads were chased away, and that was the end of it. But I mean, little green dolls. I mean that, that um to me. <laughs> Uh, shows uh, little skeletons that would have done green. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, th- there is something in Vesper that needs to be investigated. It was, right? sa- so, it was the
0: same in Tomb. Yeah. originally. It was two young boys I that know. found orig- the original yeah. remains if you go right back yeah. to the 1970s as well. Well, look, continued success with the great, great work you've been doing and raising attention for which is Ireland's dirty secrets and Ireland's really dark past. Do you think yeah. we've learned, by the way, going forward in Ireland? Do you think we've learned from the mistakes of the past and the way particularly we treat women? But um, Do you think we've learned?
1: Well, I think I think it opened people's eyes. Uh, the church in particular, they're, they're taking a different view now. And mm. uh, it will take time, but uh, definitely it, it, it has helped. There's no doubt about that. It, it will give people uh, and uh, authorities and the church in particular an absolute different view of women. It has changed
0: society. Well, listen, I got to thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Catherine. Yeah, like, I, sh- I should happy, really, happy. I should really stand up and give you a standing ovation. <laughs> <But Catherine, laughs> thank you very yeah, much indeed. And I'm sure we'll talk thank again you. very, very soon. There you go. Catherine yeah, Corliss, the historian Bye-bye. Bye-bye. who is responsible for the Tune Babies. And of course, many of us now know the story of the Tune Babies, which has gone worldwide. The multi-award winning ah. Nile Boylan podcast.